Hello and welcome to Blaze Mahmood Podcast. And this show is for visionary and entrepreneur learners who are thirsty for actionable steps and advice to make the next big thing. On the show, we'll be discussing everything related to business and entrepreneurship to help you do what you want to do and get you where you want to be in the shortest possible time. I'm Mahmood, the host of the show. I'm a curious person just like you and we'll be learning along with you from the great individual who made it and made it big. Now I'll be sharing everything I already know and the new things I'll be running with you all. So without wasting any more time, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the show and our today's guest is Alan Stevens and he's international, he's an international profiling and communication specialist and he's regularly spe- featured on national TV, radio and in the world's press, profiling the likings of our leading prof- politicians TV and sports stars, as well as Britain's royalty. He has been referred to the UK Guardian as a leading authority on reading people. He has worked with international clients like the Disney Films and Gillette, and high-profile organizations like Australian Federal Police. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage their clients and prospects and enhancing their presentations and negotiation skills and he, with parents and teachers to help them enhance the ability of their children to reach their full potential while improving the experience of parents, teachers, and the students. So we welcome him to the show. And so how has your day been so far? Been uh, pretty good. It's, um, well, right now, I'm not quite sure what time it is there, but it's five o'clock here in the evening in Australia on a Monday afternoon. and. Uh, we're starting to see the sun go down now. So it's it's around no, it's exactly twelve fifty eight here in Bangladesh, hmm. and yeah. So hope our podcast goes really well. So, like the first thing I want to ask you is like we already we have like you already have been on the show previously. Mm-hmm. And so we. For, at first, we on the previous episode we discussed about uh, about mental health issues and, and about mental health. And today, our main topic of discussing is about reading people, especially reading faces. So, my first question to you, you is: What do you mean by reading faces of people? Well, first of all, um, reading faces is all about being able to understand the person, picking up things like uh, emotions and picking up whether the person is telling you the truth. But before all of that, being able to understand their personality, to know how they like to be spoken to and how they like to be treated. And the, uh, the face gives us all of that information. Very quickly, I'll explain that the facial features tell us somebody's personality. If somebody, well, think about it. If you lift weights, you're going to build muscles up. You know, if you do bicep curls, you'll build your biceps up. If you do tricep extensions, you'll build your triceps. And so any muscle that we use over and over, we're going to change the shape of it. We're going to create ridges and crevices. The same thing happens. Everything we feel inside, we express outwardly in our body language, in our facial expression. So if you think in a certain way over and over, you're going to build ridges and crevices on your face to give away how you like to think and process. Not your character, but all about your personality. So that's the first part. And then when I'm talking to somebody, I've got the feedback of their expressions and their body language that tell me, have I read them right? 
Is there something emotionally going on? And is the person telling me the truth? Okay, so when did you actually get this skill? Well, I'd like to say that everybody who's listening to this, except for a very small percentage of people, everybody had the skill when they were a young child. Uh, we needed to be able to recognize somebody. Did we know them? Were they a friend? Were they family or somebody? Or were they somebody we shouldn't be around? And then we needed to recognize their expressions to know, well, if they are angry, if it's somebody that we don't, uh, that we uh, think we shouldn't be around, and at the same time they're looking angry, we know to get away from them. And for any parent out there uh, who's got young children, I'll ask them this question. How often have your uh, children pushed you right to the edge but haven't pushed you over the edge? You know, they've uh, screamed and carried on to get what they want. You know, every child knows how to read it. So it's a skill that everyone had at a young age. But as we grow up, we take in about 2 million bits of information every second. We only process about 134 bits every second. So there's so much that we distort, generalise and delete. And in that process, anything we don't focus on, we're going to get out of practice with. So like if we lift weights and all of a sudden we stop going to the gym, our muscles are going to atrophy. It's the same thing with that skill. So every child has a skill, but as we get older, we lose it. And in my case, it was after uh, a couple of divorces, a lot of broken relationships, business partners who emptied out the bank, but I finally just realised I had to get back and get the skill back and learn how to read people more effectively. And so it was, um, I'm almost 70 now, so it was around about uh, ooh, 12 years ago, 2008, when I first started looking at the actual facial features and the facial expressions. Before that, it was body language, it was all the psychometric profiling, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Enneagrams, any other... Uh, profiling system you can think of where you ask people questions and observe them. And uh, it was in 2008 I decided that I needed something more than all of those, and that's when I looked at the facial features and the facial expressions, and that's where it all took off for me. Okay, so you mentioned the word that, not the word, but sentence that you knew that you had to understand, like you have to get regain the skill of reading faces. Hmm. So, so how did you know that this was the skill that you needed to regain? Well, one of the things I've done, I've, I've been a massage therapist, aromatherapies, colour therapies. I had my NLP masters. I've worked with a whole mass of different modalities. And I didn't know that faces, reading faces was the way to go until one day I was actually helping a friend who ran a spiritual retreat and I was running a... Um, uh, a workshop using Myers-Briggs, the you know, profiling system. Somebody at the end of the day said to me, you ever looked at reading faces? And I went, sounds interesting. So uh, on the drive home, which was about an hour from where the retreat was back to my home, all I did was think about that. As soon as I got home, got onto Google and uh, on the internet and searched it and found Paul Ekman, who did all the research behind the micro expressions and a lady by the name of Naomi Tickle who taught the facial features. Trained with both their groups and then uh, realised that the two skills should have been working together, which nobody else was doing. And uh, 
So it was from that person saying to me, have you ever read, ever thought of reading faces to the point of now having the system rapid trait profiling, which is now unique worldwide. So it was, came from the point, the one thing I'd always say to people is the most important thing you'll ever learn is the next thing you'll learn after you think you know everything. So keep an open mind and uh, something's presented to you, you know, look at it with a, uh, a curious mind but then test it and check it out. And that's what I, I did with that comment and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Okay, so how long did it take you to actually master the skill? So you learned about this skill that uh, you are interested about learning how to read people. So from that stage or that day, how many days or years did it took to actually to say that you have actually mastered treating people? Yeah, well, I've got a, an attitude that, as I said, I'll always be learning, always learning new skills. I never consider myself a master in anything. What I always consider myself is as, as a, um, a full-time student. I'm always learning. I might be teaching others part-time, but I'm learning full-time. So I'm always improving my skill. And so I, I don't think there's a point where I would say that I became a master. I'm still working towards being a better master. I think that was more important. But when I first uh, started with the facial features, see the facial expressions are sexy there. You'll see it on all the um, uh, CSI shows, the criminal investigation shows, uh, the mentalists and all those sort of things. But the real power is in being able to read someone's personality, know the baseline, know how that person likes to be spoken to and how they like to be treated. Build a relationship with them. And if you build a strong relationship with somebody, you don't need to go looking for whether they're telling you the truth or not. Because through having a strong relationship with somebody, they will be telling you the truth. And so the facial features, when I first did my training with Naomi, I did that online. And then uh, I went away and practised it. That was in 2008. About 2009, I went to uh, America and stayed with her and her husband and uh, did my master's with her, came back to Australia. And I think I started feeling that I was comfortable with it by the time, oh, probably about a year, two years later. But I, as I say, I'm always learning. And as far as how long it took me, it's going to be different for everybody. How much time you put into it, how uh, focused you are on it. Some people will pick it up extremely fast. Others will take longer. But it's, um, I just worked on it as being take a trait each day and work on that, read that in somebody's face, test it, prove it, work on another one, then start to understand how they work together. Okay, interesting. So how did your actual life change from like learning this skill? Well, I went from having a lot of broken relationships and um, uh, a lot of uh, people who were doing the wrong thing by me in business to pretty much not having that problem anymore. Because, well, first of all, when people know that you can read them, it's surprising how they change in the moment. But uh, I also realised that I could pick things up a lot faster and I could just ask questions that would soon uncover the truth. And so my whole life changed completely. It's been a lot more relaxed. I've got a lot more friends than I've ever had before. 
I know that when people, first of all, meet me, they hear what I do. They all get a bit nervous. But once I understand why and how I do it, then the end result is they feel a lot more comfortable because, as I said, it's all about building relationships, how to build a stronger connection with somebody. If you're able to look at them and able to read their personality straight away, you know how to speak to them in a way in which they're going to understand. They're going to be more comfortable and happier and straight away the relationship's going to be better. Okay, so so you said I think that you decided to fix things faster. So can you give me an example of it? Well, if you want me to uh, tell you what I'm seeing in your face. Uh, no. Okay, so we're going to go uh, do that after a few minutes. Not okay. right now. I was just wondering how, how fast you could uh, know how to read this. But if somebody walks past you in the street, you can pretty much pick up on most of the traits that you need. So the way I look at it is this, that I work with about 60 to 68 traits in total. But what I do is when somebody's coming towards me, I look at what stands out the most in their face, what stands out second, what stands out third, and but, you know, how they interact. Do they moderate or enhance each other? And by the time I've got about seven or eight traits, I've got the bulk of somebody's personality. And so just as they walk past you in the street, so they're coming through the door 10 feet away from you. You've pretty well got their personality. You know exactly how to talk to them. Okay, that's interesting. So there's another thing which is actually not reading faces but reading people. So which which has actually did many different types of characters. Like in most cases, there are four categories of people. Like people are divided in four categories in almost all places. And you create profile based on that of other people. It's not treating faces. So how much do you think that is effective compared to this? Well, when you put people into, if you look at the original disc format, um, you had four types. If you look at it, the colors, the animals, the car systems that people use, which are really just uh, variations of the original disc profiles, they, you're putting 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet into four boxes. And I guarantee if you put a whole bunch of people in that box using those systems, they will look at each other and go, I'm not the same as you. But see, when I look at somebody, as I said, I look at what stands out the most first of all, what stands out second, what stands out third, how do they moderate or enhance each other? There's about 39 traits. You either have one of the two extremes or a middle position. I work with a sliding scale, but when I teach people, we look at you know, this extreme to that extreme and somewhere in between, and you'll have 29 traits. You either have them or you don't have them. So the possible combinations are three to the power of 39 times two to the power of 29. That is two with about 27 characters after it. It's a huge number. But the whole good thing is by looking at what stands out the most first, what stands out second, and seeing how they moderate, and then the third, then the fourth, etc. In the first seven or eight traits, you've got the bulk of somebody's personality, which therefore means that we see everybody read them far more uh, quickly than asking people questions. At the same time, we don't have to look at all the traits. We look at the major traits that we can see in that person, and we treat that person as an individual completely separate to every other person on the planet. So we don't, 
my system, we don't put people in boxes. We take them out of the boxes and every other system puts them in. Okay. I would agree with that because I was actually learning about that four systems, like that system, like it has mm -hmm. really different names uh, in like I've read two systems in that one was in the book of like how to never split the difference in that book there it said about this system and again i found a system is called the bank system which is actually same like same just names the different and yeah. when i talked to you at the first like at first i i i saw it's a similar thing but it's completely different at the same time because mm. that was just That's categorizing right. people in four boxes mm. and when i talked to you like how this reading faces works i truly saw like this is not descriptive like or you mm. said like you can see you, we can see how the person is if they're coming to us mm. But in that That's system, it. like that system, that four category system, which you, you mentioned is this, the disk system, or I call the bank system, which is actually the same. You cannot see other person who is coming to you and say like, this is how you can communicate with them. No, that's, that's one of the issues. You have to be out with them. You've got to ask them questions, which is usually somewhere about 80 to 100 questions to try and work their personality out. I don't know about anybody else, but when I start filling questionnaires out after about the first 10 questions, I'm pretty much over it. But then um, you can't observe something because it, it doesn't take consideration of epigenics or mother-father relationships, the connection in there, what's been passed down in the genes, for instance. It, they're very dependent on somebody's level of education, their understanding of the questions that are being asked. There'll be gender issues. There'll be emotional issues. As I said, if I'm filling out questionnaires, I get pretty emotional very quickly, especially when they drag on. But then the, uh, some uh, profiles will say, oh, but I can stand and observe somebody. But you've got to observe them over a period of time to be able to work them out. At the same time, depending on what your emotions are at the moment, you're the one doing the reading, and your emotions are up or down, you're going to tolerate differently that other person depending on the way you're feeling so your emotions get in the way but when it comes to reading uh, facial uh, features i'm looking at dimensions i'm looking at sizes and so doesn't matter if i'm happy or sad i'll still read the person the same way and that's where the difference of this comes in and i can read somebody from their uh, photograph i don't need to meet them in uh, real life because the facial features don't change overnight. And so if, um, you know, LinkedIn profiles, websites, uh, Facebook, uh, any social media photographs, if you can find their face on Google, you've got their personality, and that's when you're talking to them, then you look at uh, responses back from them to see whether they're behaving within the parameters of what you've read in their face as far as their personality goes, you're reading if there is emotions going on. And as I said, at the far end, you're using it to also work out whether they're telling you the truth. That's the only time you need to do the observation, but you've already made the connection with them before you have to worry about um, observing their mannerisms or their movements. Okay, interesting. 
So we haven't discussed about the photograph yet. Like that's also really new to me. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. So now, now, so, so other than reading people on social media, so in real life, when does this skill come in handy? Well, everything from as I've virtually say from the cradle to the grave. Um, it comes in for parents being able to understand their their children. If you understand the child's learning styles, you know how to teach them more effectively. And instead of labelling them with conditions and medicating because they don't fit into our education systems, we can talk to them in a different way so that they don't have the issues that we've our systems are putting them under. And then, uh, well, first of all, for a couple, finding um, a partner. Now, what are you looking for in your partner? Then if you find one that's quite exciting and everything else, there's also going to be the downside of their traits that come out when they're stressed. How do you talk to them to keep that relationship strong? So finding the right the partner who matches your personality. Secondly, uh, being able to talk to them so you keep that relationship. Being able to then, as a child is growing up, understand the hobbies and sports that will uh, suit their personalities before they pick their final subjects at school, working out what careers will suit their personality. So they can pick their final subjects and go into a field that if they go to university and get a degree or to college, they'll end up getting a degree that they'll actually use. How many people we know get a degree and then never use it because after the degree, they go, I don't like doing this. When they find out about the job that degree was for, they go, I don't like that either. So we can circumvent all that so that if somebody ends up with a, an education debt, they're at least going to be able to pay it off in the field that they got the debt in in the first place. And so at work, if they're then happier with the work they're doing, they're more productive. They're more productive. Their management makes more money. They're also happier, which means when they go home to their spouse, they're going to get on better at home. There's less domestic violence and angst and um, arguments. They're also, their kids are happier and everyone's happier all the way around. But the bosses at the same time can look at their staff, understand their uh, personalities and give them the tasks that match their personalities. So they get the most productive time out of their staff. At the same time, their staff are happier and they know how to connect with their staff so they have loyalty as well. Because one of the biggest things we found in Australia in particular when uh, COVID hit, the biggest turnover of positions was leadership roles because we had no leaders. They were all managers and they were micromanaging their staff. 87% of people didn't want to be at work. You know, they were disengaged in their work before COVID. Then while COVID was going on, they were working from home, didn't want to go back into the workplace. And the managers that we had couldn't manage them anymore because they couldn't see them. They didn't know how to lead them. And so hopefully we'll get a lot more people realising they need more emotional intelligence uh, training, more people skills. You actually said brought out two new topics, which are like my one of my favorites. One is that because after the pandemic, I read a few articles, like not not a few, like one article, which clearly said that people are going into like hollow mode. So like you only live once, like in in that in that mode, and so people are not wanting to work for a company that they hate or like they mm. they don't like basically and they don't feel that um, 
it's not letting me grow and I am not fulfilling my potential through it. Yeah. That's one thing. And this, and they, and this, and with that, adding to that, there was the thing that mission driven companies are getting employees who are in that state at the moment, like they're in the YOLO state. So the companies which are, or the new startups and most of the startups of today, which are today for as I, by today, I mean, in the last five years are mostly mission driven. They're, they're right. working towards a mission. And for those companies, they are able to hire newer talents, which was hmm. not accessible previously. That was one point. And the second point was, there is a lack of lead, lack of leadership people like people in leadership in around the world basically so i was mm. talking with a person in bangladesh quite a few days ago and he said we had enough tech talents here but we have less amount of people in leadership roles like we don't have mm. them like let's see and and i thought that or even actually wrote somewhere that there is an imbalance of leadership roles and intake roles in US and Bangladesh. So I compared US and Bangladesh, like not US, but mostly in Canada, Canada and Bangladesh. And as Canada is hiring tech talents, like from outside the world, mostly like they're focusing a lot on that. And Bangladesh, there is a huge lack of leadership roles. So I thought my previous perception was that there was an imbalance that there was more leadership roles in Canada and there was less leadership roles in Bangladesh, whereas there are more tech talents in Bangladesh and there are more like less tech talents in Canada. That was my previous perception. And as you said that in Australia as well, there are lack of leadership people, like people in leadership mm. and they are mostly in, mostly in, managers they're micromanagers or all managers so i'm thinking that i have to do research more on this topic that are there actually enough people in leadership role in canada as well so like i'm not sure about that now yeah it's a matter of looking at the the particular leadership but when they talk about leaders and they talk about managers you need to delve deeper into it and have a look at well exactly how are they functioning because we can call people leaders but if they they're using um, fear tactics because you know, so many bosses I've spoken to before would say that, well, look, yes, then my staff should be happy they've got a job. I'm paying their wage. Well, that, you know, the people only feel, they're only you know, really productive when they feel that they belong, that they contribute, that they have a place. Now, the, the all the research has shown that the, um, Leaders, CEOs and uh, executives who have a, a higher level of emotional intelligence actually make 30% more uh, personal income than the others that don't have it. And the reason for that is that their uh, staff are more switched on, the organisations they're running are more productive because the people feel that they belong. Just because you're paying their wage doesn't mean that they've got to be loyal to you. You know, it's a two-way street. It's a relationship. And that's where a lot of um, business owners forget. They think, oh, well, I'm paying the wage, then the person should work their tail off. And I go, no, you have to treat them in a way in which they want to work that hard. Because there's an old saying that 
uh, a good business person, and this comes back to a good leader, will hire people to do the work that he or she can't do or don't want to do so that they can go on holidays themselves and the company will not only survive, but it will grow in their absence. And that's, you know, because the biggest catch cry we're hearing today is working on your business and not in your business. And I laugh every time I hear it, not because it's not true, it's absolutely true, but the attitude of the people who are saying it, most of them are still bullies or managers in the way in which they work. Now, you can only work on your business when the people in your business are working in the business. And that means treating them in a way in which they take on projects and take it on as their own. The company becomes their, um, their connection, their family, the staff around them and the same thing. We get a lot of organisations who remove all the uh, benefits like you know, the water cooler, the coffee machines and things like that. Time management, you bring everything close to everybody so they don't have to move. And what they forget is we are tribal creatures, we're emotional beings, and we need that uh, connection with other people. But we isolate people from other people who wonder why they lose interest. You know, most successful businesses, two-thirds of the conversation that goes on in that business is idle chit-chat. How's the family? What did you do on the weekend? Did you watch that movie? You've been to that restaurant? You know, those sort of conversations because that's where people bond and connect. And that's when they will go beyond and work harder with each other to uh, get things done. People will take on tasks. Somebody says, oh, I need a hand, and somebody will put their hand up. Whereas if you isolate everybody, nobody's going to put your ha their hand up when somebody says, I need a help. You know, time management and a lot of our so-called management training have been detrimental to our businesses. It's leadership training that we need, and when we get that back in place, companies will start to be productive again. I agree with that. So we have to learn more about this topic. Like, lead, like leadership topics is quite broad here because mm. there is a lack of leaders around the world. And especially mm. because of the pandemic, people are discovering it. That's it. Yes. So now we are going to go back into like reading people. Uh, okay. So I'm going to ask you to read me and describe how you actually and got those features. Right, yeah. Well, one of the first things I look at is I know that if I'm meeting you for the first time, if we weren't on Zoom, I'd be looking at how much space do you need? If I was walking up to you, how much space do I need to give you? And one of the things is that I look at and I see where I'm very affable, I'll stand close to people when I meet them for the first time. And by the way, there is no right or wrong trait. Every trade has an upside and every trade has a downside. The upside of where our strengths are, the downside is how we react when we're under stress. So being highly affable, I'll walk up and be friendly with everybody. The downside of that is I can be friendly with the wrong pe person, like the con artist. You're a little bit more discerning. You like a little bit of space when you meet people for the first time. Stand back, check them out. Once you've checked them out, and they, you feel that they're safe to be around, you're as friendly as anybody else. So when I meet you for the first time, I'm going to give you a little bit more space when I walk up to you. You know, I'll reach out I'll, uh, with my arm, shake your hand, but I'll do it from a distance. I'll know that I have rapport with you, especially if there was noise around and I lower my voice, you step in because then I'll know that you actually have trust for me. And that's the whole thing in business. We need to know, like, and trust somebody 
And between the know, like, and trust, there is time involved in that. So the faster I can read you, the faster I can uh, reduce that time between the know, like, and trust, and we can get there faster. So the first thing then is giving you that bit of space. I know that you're um, towards the analytical side. You need more information before you make a decision. Okay, now, on the very going, first one, okay. let's talk about the trait, what I'm looking at in your face. Yeah. As far as space goes, if I'm looking straight at you, if you're looking at the camera now, I'm looking, imagining a vertical line through your pupil of your eyes. Then I'm looking at the height of the iris, the coloured section in your eyes, and I'm looking at the gap above your eyelash and below your eyebrow. So in other words, somebody who's got really high set eyebrows, they need more space when they meet somebody for the first time. Now, yours that. are high. There's, up there, there's a lot of others who are much higher again. So the gap between the top of the eye and the base of the eyebrow, looking straight because different shaped eyebrows, we want that one spot which is straight through the pupils. And when you're looking straight at the camera, the height of your iris is smaller than the gap above it. As you open your eyes up like that, which is not the way that you normally, <laughs> you know, you'll reduce it. But when you're just looking and talking to me before, the iris was so high, but it was slightly more space again above the eyelash and below the eyebrow. Think about uh, geisha girls in Japan. They used to pluck their eyebrows out and paint them on higher. And the idea of that was to give, and it's the same as in fear and surprise. Somebody's feeling fear and surprise, their eyebrows go up. There's a bigger gap. And so as they move away, we also move away from them. So this one actually connects and correlates to the facial uh, expression as well. So if you have somebody who's got higher set eyebrows, just give them more space when you meet them for the first time. Then I said that you're analytical. You need to analyse things before you make a decision. That's in the exposure of the eyelid itself. When you're looking straight at the camera, there's a line of a fold of skin. You've got your eyelash. There's a fold of skin slightly above it, but not very far away from it. It almost goes underneath it when you're looking straight at the camera. Those that are concealed where the eyelash goes up underneath that fold of skin, they need more information before they make a decision. Those that either don't have that fold of skin at all or it's way up above, so there's a really big gap between the eyelash and that fold of skin, these are the people who are what I call big picture people. They just want the overview, the least amount of information. The way I describe it, if they were on a mountain peak and they had to get to another mountain peak, they just want to know where the bridge is. How do I get from this mountain peak to that one? Whereas an analytical person like yourself will need a bit more information. You'll go down the mountain, pick up information. you go across the valley, getting more information, and then even work out whether you want to go up the other side or not. But it'll take you longer to make a decision. Then, but once you've got that information, it's then you're motivated by action. You've worked it out. You've made a decision. Just give me the best way to do it and get out of the way and let me get it done. And that one is in the difference between the length of the lower face here and the overall length of the face. So if you notice on me where this glare light is, where it turns, that's the natural turn of my forehead right there. So that's the height of my face. There's the length. And then I look at that in ratio compared to that. Okay, I think it's my same for me. <laughs> 
Yeah. So when I, you take it on you like from here once, twice, and it'd be about one and a half. So it's, you'd only have it's about 40% of your face. Now, where you went up to the top, you went up higher. It's where that natural turn of the forehead is right there. Yeah. A little bit lower. Yep, about there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So when you take the lower section here, it's getting closer to being 40% of the overall length of your face. People where it goes once, twice, and goes in a third time, you know, you had to bring your fingers down there. If you go once, twice, three times, and you're at that point, that's somebody that I call has a mental motive. Mental as in thoughts. They want to look at all the different possibilities to work out which way is the best way to do things. So they're the ones that will go and analyse things and find out which is the best way to do it, come up with the best way to do it, then give it to you and you just get out there and get it done. And so you can see by having people with different personality traits, different tasks, and it will work uh, really well for them. I know that uh, by analysing things as well, you need all the detail before you make a decision, and that's in this ridge area above the eyebrows, that more bulky area, and that's because of doing this, <laughs> pulling expressions. As I said, the more expressions we pull over and over, okay, the so more we're going to create those uh, How did you actually catch this thing? Okay, so, okay, I do this a lot, I know. Mm, I, I, yeah. I, I give this, so how did you actually understand, like, see so very vaguely so like you cannot see me face to face like i'm not seeing in person in person so how did you pick up on like the in such micro place here so i'm not well, see, i can see all. that yeah you know, we're on uh, on zoom here i can see your face so i don't have to be physically close to you as you're turning your head around the light is highlighting this here and i can see that there's a bit of a mound above both your eyebrows. It's bulky in that area. And I know when you were concentrating before, you started to get those little vertical lines. These are where things have got to be exactly right. And this is where you've got to have some more detail. So while, while I'm looking at this and I add more and more to it, and I notice that your eyes have got a slight angle from the inside corner to the outside corner, start to angle down a little bit. So good at finding errors in documents and things like that. They'll stand out to you very quickly. Okay, can How you repeat that? so far with the traits? Can you, can you repeat the last sentence? On that last one, the angle of your eyes, they slightly angle outwards and downwards. You know, so the inside corner is slightly higher than the outside corner of your eyes. That means that what I call critical perception, you'll find the errors in documents, if there's a picture on the wall and it's slightly out, you'll pick that up fairly quickly. The downside of that trait is that where things are tangible, like black and white, things we can see, then we'll pick up the errors very quickly. So I've got the same trait. But the downside of it is that it can be a bit of a problem in relationships. If we think something's going on, can't actually see it, we can then build that image up. And as I said, I've been through quite a lot of relationships in the past, and I blame that trait as being you know, the, my contribution to the breakup in those relationships. Okay, my relationship life is not that great as well. <laughs> so when, and that's the thing, as I say to people, if you understand your traits and you know what triggers them, then instead of them controlling you, 
How often have you repeated the same behaviour over and over? Why do I keep doing that? Well, once you know which trait triggers it and what environment triggers that trait, then you set your environment up so it doesn't happen anymore. If I start to feel that, oh, there might be something going on here with my partner, I will then uh, stop and go, okay, Alan, is this your trait? Are you picking up something that really exists or are you imagining something here? And therefore I can look at myself first, then work out whether it is me or the other person. If it's the other person, I can deal with that. If it's me, I can sort that out real quick. Okay, so I'll really share. about empowerment. Okay, so I'll share one thing here. So sometimes, like it, it happens quite often that I try to be vulnerable with people and I'm trying to be vulnerable with people because I've read quite a few books on leadership and it says when you're vulnerable, then the people that on the other side can trust you more. So I, I try to be vulnerable a lot. And on a regular basis, there's something that hits my mind. They might break my trust. They will break my trust. And there are a lot of dots that get connected automatically. Like that's that's not I'm doing consciously, but that happens. Like So that's, that thing is happening there. That thing is happening here. So this might be connected. Because it's it's close, so this thing happens a lot, a lot. Mm. But at the same time, and always try to say no. Okay, no. Let's reevaluate the whole thing again. Yeah. See, and that's why when you know that you have particular traits that get triggered in certain circumstances, when you start to feel a certain way, you can say, "Well, is that my trait being triggered? Is there something really going on?" Or is it something that is just, you know, it's a behaviour that's uh, within my traits that have caused it to raise its um, so-called ugly head again? And if I know that, as I say, if you don't know your personality, you don't know your traits, what triggers you, etc., then your traits will always control you. But when you know both the upside and the downside of your traits, you have dominion over them. So it's not about, you know, when I was uh, first uh, started with coaches, and by the way, I'll always have a coach in my life because no matter how good you are, you always need some, you know, support and guidance. And um, I'd go to a coach and go, oh, I really want to improve because all these things are wrong. And then I'd hear, you know, I noticed in a lot of other people, they'll get upset when the coach says, oh, you've got this, you need to work on, you've got this. And they go, with, you know, you want to have a lot of things wrong with you if you want to have a better life. If your life's not good and everything was perfect in your life, you know, everything was right with your traits and everything else, then nothing's going to change in your life. So don't be scared of uh, finding out about your traits because while you don't know about them, they control your life. But the moment you do know about them, you can then uh, control them. And then you take dominion over your life and you move forward. So, you know, as I say, that's why I started looking at my traits. I wanted to find the downside of every one of my traits, find out what triggers them. And so I could then be aware when I start to feel a certain way, is this just my traits, you know, running amok? Because your traits, the things that you know, get fired up are there to protect us. You know, our suspicion of people, that's there to protect us. But the whole thing is being over suspicious means that we end up losing connection with some really good people along the way as well.
No, fear is there to protect us. It's not a bad thing. It's just not letting our fear overwhelm us. And so the more we can do that with our traits, understand them, the more that we have uh, control over our uh, futures. Okay. So what illustrate do you see in me? Well, I also see that when it comes to uh, projects, you don't like doing the same things over and over. You like variety. So uh, start a project, get it finished, move on to another one. I see you're self-reliant, very happy, you know, quite happy to work on your own. And a bit of a tenacious trait as well, uh, being able to um, you know, get into a conversation, not just you know, move through things quickly, but even possibly bait people at times to get them into a conversation to have a, a bit of a more of a philosophical conversation, meaning of life and things like those. At the same time, I also see that you're quick to give to people as well, both your time, your energy, and sometimes you may leave yourself a little flat because you're giving to too many people and there's nothing left when you need it or somebody very close to you needs it. Okay, so what traits did you see that made you think that way? Well, when you've got somebody who's got a very full lower lip, they automatically give without thinking. Somebody who's got a very narrow one like mine, we will give, but we will think first. Now, we will give to the people who deserve to receive. And so we will think before we give to somebody. If um, somebody needs to know whether their partner really cares about them, really loves them, and their partner's got a narrow lip and they give them an expensive present, then they've thought about it before they're given that present. The one who's got the larger, fuller, lower lip like yourself will give without even thinking. And sometimes while you're giving to all the people around you, you leave yourself empty at times. There's nothing left. And if somebody close to you comes up and needs some support, then you may not have anything left to help them, which can then cause a bit of resentment towards the other people who you've helped who have not, res not responded in any way, They've just taken it without even thinking about it. Uh, as I said, no right or wrong traits, just knowing how they fit into each of the different uh, areas. Okay, what about the other traits, other traits that you mentioned? You, uh, I think you mentioned total four traits at the end. So you, you said one that's the, that was about giving people. So what about the other ones? Well, as I said, the lip was about giving to people. The square a jaw, when you've got a jaw that's square and reasonably wide compared to the overall width of the face, you've got somebody who uh, doesn't mind having a bit of a meaty conversation, so to speak. Being able to um, uh, get somebody into a conversation and go deep and even uh, bait them a little bit to get a reaction. So I can see that in your face there as well. <laughs> When I said about the self-reliance, that's in the flare of the nostrils. And if you think about it, think about a bull before it charges. It flares its nostrils. Well, people who've got the more comes down, it flares out. They're more self-reliant. Now, some of the people listening to this may go, but is this racial profiling? Well, within uh, certain nationalities, there's more of a flare of the nostrils. Some of the traits are naturally bigger or more in like the bottom lip, maybe um, more into the uh, African nations, maybe bigger as well. But when you look at each nationality, what we do is we find the middle point, 
we benchmark each nationality. I add a little bit for certain uh, cultures or certain nationalities. And I go, there'll be people who will have the high level of giving and those that will think about it a lot. Just the middle point for each of the different cultures might be slightly to the left or the right of where I look at it in a, say, a Caucasian. And so every nation is going to have its very generous people. Every nation is going to have its very, um, those that are very conservative. But it's uh, where does that, um, where's the middle point for that nationality? And that's what I teach people as well when it comes to reading faces. How to not only read the traits, but then how to look for differences between the cultures. So they still read everybody in the, the same light. Okay. So I'm going to say to the listeners, so it's actually very enjoyable to actually hear from someone else who, whom you never said about yourself that much to, to describe you. So like everything that you're saying actually describes me. That's the thing. And I haven't told you anything about it, you can say. Almost not, nothing about it. Unless the first discussion we had we talk about a bit but not that much or i didn't like we don't have a very long relationship that we know each other for a pretty long time so that we can discover each other like that's not the thing that happened so it's really interesting and really cool at the same time i would say and as you can see that i talked about the upside and the downside of the traits all it really does is just give you a better understanding of how you how you are, how people see you, and how to use that to your benefit so that you can improve your connections with other people. So it's um, something that nobody should be scared of. As I used to jokingly say, when people found out what I did, they would all run out of the room. But when they'd find out why and how I did it, the purpose behind it, they'd all come back, bring their colleagues, their family and their friends. And uh, that's pretty much the case. Uh, okay, so we are not going to go really uh, into that because that happens. So if I say, uh, go in a place and say, um, I can see, I, I know about every single one of you in the room, how you're feeling and how are you in person, then they're going to get scared. Yeah. Yeah, because... If I go into a room, I don't worry about that. I just, I just read people and then start to talk to them and they go, how do you know that about me? And then once we've built the relationships, that's when they find out, well, they go, well, what is it you do for a job? And then I'll explain to them and they go, and I go, and they go oh, and you just summed that. And they go, yes, but it was, but it was non-threatening to them. Now it's, um, it's like going to a, uh, a party and, you know, there's a psychologist in the room and people know they're a psychologist. Everyone's worried about being around the psychologist. At the end of the day, you know, we're doing this not to psychoanalyze anybody. I'm doing it to build a relationship with them. So the connection I have with them can be more enjoyable for them and for me because if I do that, if I'm at a party, the party's going to be more enjoyable for all of us. If I'm in business, well, then we're going to have a better connection. We're able to do business together. So it's not about manipulating or uh, trying to get a one-up over the person. It's how do I connect with them at their level, whatever that might be, and build a relationship with them so that they want to do business with me. 
And so that way I don't have to sell products or services to them, but I know that they'll buy the products and services from me simply because I build a relationship with them and they understand that my purpose is in helping them to create whatever it is that they want to get out of life. And I do that most effectively by being able to read them and then treat them in the way that their fates are telling me they need to be treated or want to be treated. It's all about respect. I agree. So it's, there is nothing bad in it. Like it's all about, so I'm trying to connect with you. Like it really doesn't matter what the way it is, but I, my aim is good. So I'm not trying to harm okay. you. Yeah. So that's now, it. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Now, so we are calling this reading faces, but mm -hmm. in our first discussion, we as chill discuss about the length of arm length of arm compared to or like length of upper body compared to lower body and other traits so tell me more about that we'll see our whole body gives away so much information there's both in um, our emotions because we you know body language that gives away a lot we also know that the structure of our body will give us an idea of what hobbies and sports would suit somebody. If you have, regardless of the person's height, if you've got somebody who's got short legs in comparison to their overall height, these are people who can't sit still. So if you've got a, um, a receptionist job for somebody, that's probably somebody with short legs is not the person to put in that job. Putting them in a, a chair where they're gonna be sitting for hours on end is probably not going to work for them. But the sports that that person would like to play, things like, or dancing, for instance, salsa, fast action moving, lower centre of gravity, so like to move very quickly. Whereas the person with the longer legs can sit for longer periods of time because it's more comfortable for someone with long legs to sit, whereas for somebody with really short legs, it's more comfortable to them to be able to get up and move around. Because we've got a long torso, sitting on the... Uh, down on your hips, especially when you've got short legs, it actually gives you hip problems sitting long periods of time. It becomes physically uncomfortable. So if I can see somebody walking towards me and I can see the difference between the length of their legs compared to their upper body, even before they got across the car park, I know whether they need to sit down or whether we're going to be walking around and talking. So I've got someone who's got short legs and so it's a new employee and they're going to be shown through the the uh, the where the factory wherever they get I'll walk them through the door and keep walking them around and talking to them. If they got the longer legs, I'll sit down and go through most of the stuff and then give them a short tour after that. So wouldn't have them standing in the one spot for any given length of time. And then also in the hands, which is your dominant hand? Your right hand or your which one do you write with? Which is your strongest hand? Right hand. Okay, put your hand up like that with the fingers together. So it's like a stop sign. Okay. More of a getting towards being a risk taker, but still pretty much a calculate, calculated risk taker. Also wanting to know the, the, um, the meaning of life, being a bit more philosophical. That I can see in your hands. And also, well, the hand dexterity is probably about midway. When you're looking at your hand like that, on yours and like mine, we've got this gap between the first finger. You can see the... I can see the wall through your fingers. Yeah. That's the being philosophical, wanting to know the meaning of life and other things. You know, being a, a learner, 
always out there trying to learn new things. You'll notice my first finger and my third finger, they're about the same height. When you have a ring finger that's much longer, you have a risk taker. When it's the other way around, you have somebody who's adverse to having risks. This person with the ring finger shorter will think about things before they make a decision and probably then think about their decision. When it's longer, they just rush into things without even thinking. Equal length, calculator risk taker. In Australia, if we're driving a car, the person with the adverse to taking risks, and my question always is to them, you're driving a car, you're coming up with a set of green lights and they turn amber, what do you do? The risk, the person with the short ring finger will hesitate, think about it, but in most cases stop because they don't take risks. When it's the other way around, they usually just hit the accelerator and go for it. They're the risk takers. When it's the equal length, not, they will have already worked out who's behind them, who's in the side streets, are there any police around, is there a red light camera that's going to catch them if they go through the red light? They'll have worked all that out, and, in fact, they'll probably work it out halfway down the road long before they get to the lights. So they can see a set of lights and it's green at the time. They're already calculating how close will I be for, to it and I'll keep going or how far back from it where I'll stop. And so we've got those. The long ring fingers were worked out by Bath University. They found that those with a long ring finger generally have a higher level of testosterone, therefore the risk taker. They were also on average better at maths and physics. And Cambridge University, when they went into the stock market, found that those that had the, um, uh, the long ring finger on average of the traders, you know, getting in and buying, share, uh, buying options and uh, trading currency, they made 11 times more money across the board than all the other traders. The ones at the very top of the tree, there was only five times as much. So what it proved was if you have a particular trait, you have a gift in that particular area. However, it doesn't mean you can't learn to do other things that the others who have, if you don't have that trait, doesn't mean that you can't learn. It just means you have to practice harder. So where they said that those across the board were making 11 times more money with the long ring finger, but when it came to the top traders, it was only five times as much. It meant those that didn't have the long ring finger before had learned how to become better traders. They just had to practice more to get there. And so there are a lot of the traits which have been proved by different um, uh, academics around the world. That's interesting. So I never uh, thought about this that in this way that my hand says this. And that's yeah. without looking at palmistry or anything like that. That's just in the construction of the fingers themselves. Okay. Is there anything like uh, does the like the palm say palm say anything? Well, I've got a few friends. I don't uh, jump into palmistry and looking at fortunes and you know looking at people's uh, lifelines and things like that. There's so much information in that area, and those, I've got some friends who work in those areas, and uh, I would always um, refer to them to answer those questions. I'm really good at what I do with the facial features and the you know the traits that I've been talking about today. And that's where I focus. And somebody goes, well, tell me more about that particular, I'll oh, get the expert in. Whoever knows that really well, one who has the expertise, I'll get them in to uh, talk about that. But uh, one of my friends um, 
he was saying that there's about 500 different things you can pick from somebody's uh, finger, you know, the whole handprint. So it's another art on its own. Okay, I think the person who will actually read my hand will have a hard, hard time because I have calluses like like all, all over the place on here as well. And well, I it's like, you know, with facial features, if somebody's had cosmetic surgery like Botox or they've had, um, you know, some surgery, cosmetic surgery where they had the lines move from here, I might not be able to read those traits, the same as calluses on your hand. They may not be able to read some of the things there but there's so much more in the rest of it, the same as in the face, that uh, we'll get most of that. And the last bit we'll pick up in the way in which you behave. Okay, so the last thing I wanna know is like, I wanna know a lot, but the, the last thing because of we have to cut, cut it short is, so what if a person, so are you familiar with uh, face yoga? With who, sorry? Face yoga. A faith healer. Mm -hmm. face, face yoga, face yoga. People do yoga on their face. Uh, no, sure. Okay, so there are exercises mainly from, from maybe Japan or Korea. So you do different exercises for your face muscles. So it has different mm -hmm. exercises for, okay, gotcha, uh, let's yeah. say, uh, the keep your hand and just open your mouth. And there are different exercises for all changing your whole face, basically. So just changing that, even that takes some time, quite a few, quite some time, maybe months, Hmm. Maybe a couple months to actually see the change in the in the facial structure, and the foundation of that came from like uh, you can change the bone structure if you change like strengthen the muscles, like in hmm. that sense. So that that's why people did face yoga and people got results. So thus thus doing that changes the personality. Or no, well, just find, first of all, yeah, we've got a combination of what we call nature and nurture. The nature ones are the ones that were passed down from our parents in our genes. So we have some traits there that are already there in our system. Then we have what we call our nurture traits. They're the ones that we create in response to our environment. But they will be controlled heavily by the nature traits to start with. So if you've got a young child, yes, by them doing face yoga, doing expressions on their face, they will use the muscles and while their, their bones are still supple, they will then reshape things. As we get older, that gets harder and harder to do. We won't actually change the skeletal structure, but we may change the size of the muscles and things like that. But if the we are the combination of all of our experiences and think of a... Um, uh, if you'll practice something over and over again, we find that uh, it becomes a part of our way of doing things. So the traits that we've had before we've done those sort of exercises will still be there. We may, it's like, okay, I can know the downside of my traits. I can behave in a different way in different situations. But when I get stressed, I will revert back to my original way of doing things. We always go back to our original programming. And so you may change some of the features on their face. It's like if you smile a lot, the little co very corner of your mouth is going to be turned up. Look at all young children, it's turned up. As we get older, all the things that we go through in life, it starts to turn down. It goes horizontal and then it goes down. 
somebody who is really down here all the time means that they've they've been um, uh, frowning a lot. These muscles have got shorter and stronger and therefore stretch these. So at rest, we have the corner of the mouth turns down. If that person hasn't been smiling, they've been frowning a lot, then the end result is they're more likely to be pessimistic than optimistic. But you take away whatever's causing, like stop watching the news. You know, the news are always trying to make us feel miserable so they can sell their news. And so the end result is we're always in a state of fear. You stop listening to the news, you started watching comedies and you know things that made you laugh a lot more, and you had conversations with people where you smiled a lot, then these muscles will get stronger, these will get weaker, and the mouth will turn back up again. So now that person is more likely to be optimistic at that period of time. But they will still have the other foundation of their confidence levels, how they process information. That will still be there. So you may moderate things a little bit, but under stress, you'll come back to your original uh, programming. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to process everything that you said. <laughs> There's that analytical <laughs> trait going there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm quite optimistic. So I smile always. Mm. I always smile. And yeah. Mm. So any, so we have very shortage of time. I took more time than expected. Not like our previous, like our previous conversations, like because this topic is really interesting, really, really interesting. And you're the first person through whom I actually learned about face reading. That there's something about there's something called face reading exists. I didn't know about that previously. So we have to cut, cut it short. And sorry for the real listeners that we have to cut it short because. I'm pretty sure who are listening, they found it very interesting or also who are watching it. So they're going to see that, see visually that what's happening. Mm -hmm. So what about the faces you're describing? So any last word that you want to share with, with the audience? Yeah, well, everything you've heard today, don't take it on face value. Uh, go out and test it out for yourself. You know, think about some of the traits that I've said. Listen to this a few times. Look at yourself in the mirror, see where you fit, look at the people around you, test it out for yourself to get a bit of an understanding. Always be, as they say, um, always uh, have an open mind to take everything in, but test everything as well. Now, the biggest thing is a lot of people have a closed mind and therefore they get learn nothing. As I said, the most important thing you'll ever learn is the next thing you learn after you think you know everything. So be open to take in all the information, but then test it out for yourself. And if it works, then you're on the you're on the right track. Okay. So where can our listeners find you online? Well, they can find me on my website, probably the quickest and the easiest way, which is uh, just my name, which is alanstevens.com and .au for Australia. Alan with one L, A-L-A-N, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, dot com, dot A-U. And uh, go to the success story you know, tab and listen to what other people have said about what they've got out of, you know, working with me or what they've learned along the way and how they've been able to change their lives. At the end of the day, I can sit here and talk all day long about what I can do but you'll never know how well I can do it until you talk to other people who have been through it themselves. So 
as they say, people can advertise themselves until the cows come home. But the end result is that it comes down to um, uh, how the people actually get to use it themselves. And best way to find out what you can get out of it, find out what other people got out of it. So go to the website and uh, check that out. There's hundreds of hours of videos in there. Okay, so I'll, I highly recommend people to check it, check him out because it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting to have uh, the, uh, this, this whole subject about face reading and all. Because most of the people that you're going to listen to are going to say about, are going to refer to the disk system or the bank system or anything similar, which is going to categorize people in just four boxes. Mm. And then they have like four into four, like I, I, I think total 16 boxes, like 16 combinations of their trees. But this is really different from that. Mm. And I highly recommend this. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for the listeners who are listening and the viewers who are watching. And Thank we are going to... And we're going to add the link of the website that you can revisit with the description of it or the caption for YouTube or like not for YouTube, it will be description as well. But for Facebook, it there will be cap caption that there will be link on the caption. So yeah, thanks for the listeners who are the viewers who are listening or watching. Okay. Well, it's also, I'll give you an extra link, which is a free um, download where people can get that and they can go and test a few things for themselves. That'll be a gift to all your listeners. Okay, so listeners, that's a gift from Mr. Alan Stevens. And I, I think at, at the beginning I said Alan Steven. Your your name Alan Steven, so that was a mistake. So make sure to check that gift out as well. So I, I'm sure it's just a very amazing content or like amazing piece of gift, basically. Excellent. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's how we end the show. Bye. Bye. This was the end of today's episode and I know that it's quite hard to take the steps that you need to take. But I hope that we were able to share some steps that you can take right away to motivate yourself to take a leap of faith and pursue what you want to be or like want to do. And if you have any question, then message me on Instagram at Abdullah M. Mahmoud. It is spelled as A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H-M-M-A-H-M-U-D. Again, the spelling is A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H-M-M-A-H-M-U-D. This is, the, this is my social media handle for all social medias, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as well. I don't have any videos on TikTok anyway, but you can find find me there. You can follow me or send a message. I'll love to talk, talk with you. And finally, you can also message me through Anchor, the voice message option of Anchor. And lastly, if you want to grow with me and learn actionable steps twice a week or want to make this podcast be the number one podcast for visionaries, then make sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, then make sure to leave a review. It really helps to bring on amazing guests just like today. And yeah, that's for today. And next time, keep being your best self. Bye.